Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Out to Lunch, where I take fascinating people for a slap-up meal and we record the chat. My guest today has taken an unfashionable art form and turned it on its head. Her comedy uses ventriloquism. Puppets and masks allow her or her audience to say what they would never normally say. She explores what it's like to be a ruder, naughtier and more chaotic self. She's been on Live at the Apollo and QI, toured the UK, and has an award-winning film, Her Master's Voice, on Amazon. In this chat, we talk about cooking lunch for Arthur Miller, learning the art of speaking without moving your lips, and giving up acting for a talking monkey. It's the inimitable Nina Conti, and if I can persuade her, monkey as well. So it was just monkey, like, going at it on a pint glass, and um, me kind of... <laughs> Being like, outraged or trying well, to stop it. Part outrage, but part, it's just like an affable zookeeper, like he'll do this, it won't last long. So for this episode of Out to Lunch, we've come to the Intercontinental Hotel on London's Park Lane, which is home to Theo Randall at the Intercontinental. He's a brilliant, robust Italian cook, was the head chef at the River Cafe for many years, then opened here 15 years ago. Nina Conti is vegetarian, and he does a lot of great non-meat cookery, so I thought this was a good fit. At the moment, Theo Randall is not open at lunchtime as we speak. I think it probably is by now when you're listening. But he agreed to open for me and for Nina Conti and for Out to Lunch because we are that important. Let's get inside. Hello. Hi, how are you? Very well, Nina. Come on in. Look at this. I know. We have a, we have a what they call a PDR, private dining room for Very you. Very nice. This is Brendan who will be serving us. Hi. Hello, my name is Brendan. Nice um, to meet you. This is Out to Lunch. Yes. Um, and obviously we're going to be eating. Have yes. you ever attempted to master, or whatever the word would be, the art of drinking and eating while ventriloquizing? Is there any way to do it? No, I don't know. I could give it a go. I have done on stage a drinking, talking thing, but it's, you know, it's a bit of trickery around. It's all, it's, it's all trickery. Do you want, shall I just tell you what it is? Yeah, tell us the trick. So you have this stuff which is a bit like what is in baby's nappies, which is powder and very fast absorbent. So you need an opaque cup. You have a little of that pre-prepared in the cup and then you pour water in front of people into the cup. It goes completely solid and then you lift it and then he's talking and you're just... Because you're not drinking, because it's been completely solid. I mean, the quality of your mic might change as you go into the cavity, but people don't notice. So we have a vegetarian menu for you. Thank you. So, what do, you, what do you fancy? I love burrata. Yeah, their burrata will be very, very good. Oh, it looks really good. And that deep-fried violet aubergines looks very good. Yeah, I noticed that. It's a very Roman dish. Are you ready to order? I am. Yeah. Could I have the burrata, please? Nice choice. And then the aubergine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. Can I have the cuttlefish and just apologise to Theo because I had it last time, but I really like it. And then I'll have the lobster 
linguine because my luck, yeah, as a main course. And um, he'd probably send them anyway, but could we get some of the courgette fritti for the table? Yeah, they can arrive whenever. That'd be brilliant. Thank you. Your dad is Tom Conti, the actor, so I should probably put that on the tape. Yeah. Um, said you moved from Kilburn to Hampstead when you were about 11. Yes. I remember very, very well the point when your father's career sort of exploded. Yeah, there was a sudden augmentation because they were poor when they came to London and my dad was playing the guitar in restaurants to tables and uh, for tips. Did you... Was that what... Encourage you into the idea of a career in show showbiz theatre. What seeing I mean, it having gone well? Well, it did go well. Yeah. So we have some bruschetta with the tiny tomatoes and focaccias and appetizers. Thank you. That's very pretty, isn't it? Mm. Very pretty. Was there pressure from your parents? Are they saying just get a a skill behind you? Yeah, something to fall back on and. Because it hadn't gone well for all his Glasgow mates who sort of were house guests a lot and kind of drunk house guests that were grown up with. Uh, yeah, explain who the house guests were. I'm not going to name them. <laughs> well, not the drunk ones, but you did have these ridiculous people. Didn't Arthur Miller come for dinner? Oh, yes. Yeah, that was later, yeah. David yes, Bowie? And I cooked for Arthur Miller. I went to Cordon Bleu when I was 14 and I cooked. So I made a rack of lamb, which I'd eaten at Langan's. And I tried to reproduce it, and it was the most stressful, most stressful thing for a 14-year-old or 15-year-old girl to go through. And how did the author of Death of a Salesman uh, take t- <laughs> Politely. Oh, well, that's nice. He like ate to- it politely, yeah. Do you know the great story about him taking, his, taking Marilyn to meet his mother? No. All right, this is a good story. So... Uh, Arthur Miller takes Marilyn Monroe to meet his mother wherever he'd installed her on the Upper East Side, whatever. And at some point, she needs to go to the loo, but she is concerned about being overheard. So she turns on all the taps to disguise the noise. (laughs) And the next day, Arthur Miller calls his mother and says, what do you think of Marilyn? She goes, nice girl, but she pisses like a horse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Did you train as an actor? No. But you got to the RSC, didn't you? Yeah, but I didn't get deep into the RSC. I got fringe parts, you know, on the players' Carrie cast. Spears and... That stuff, I Was there wenches in Shakespeare plays? Yeah, I, I was a one wench, actually. That was my biggest part, because she had some lines. Even, you know, spear-carrying at the RSC, it's still the RSC. Mm-hmm. Did you hear there was an audition? If I went to drama school, it was the drama school of Ken Campbell. So mm-hmm. explain who Ken Campbell is to, was to anybody who didn't know Ken Campbell, you might see him, Forty Towers, he's bald with bushy eyebrows, and he was a maverick kind of radical kind of... He was sort of pissed off with the theatre scene, so everything he did was a bit different. And he had been at drama school with John Cleese and the like in his year, but he went the black sheep way, other way, you know, and did weird things. And I'd seen his plays at the National, he did one-man shows at the National, and I just turned up without part and uh, hung around until... One of the actresses had a kind of mental breakdown. I got her part. What, you literally hung around in the green room? Or was it because you'd been there? Yeah, it wasn't a normal rehearsal either. It was happening in Fatty Towers, which was Buster Blood Vessels, Margate Hotel for the Morbidly Obese. That was the tagline of the place. And um, that was where the rehearsals were. So if you could get a ticket down to Margate and, I don't know, you'd sleep on a floor with someone else, we took over the whole hotel. And 
the rehearsals went right through the night to about 5 a.m. And this and was Ken Campbell's method at the that time? That was Ken Campbell's method. And it, you had to have a sort of, um, like a hypnosis when you arrived, which they called an induction. I mean, it was weird. It was weird, but I didn't enjoy... you joined the cult? It was very much a cult. And I, but I'd enjoyed his one-man shows at the National so much, I thought, well, he must know what he's doing. He's not completely bonkers, but everything was weird, yeah. Did your relationship with him start there? No, no, I, no, not at all. Um, it took a while. I sort of did decide to seduce him, even though I was 25, he was almost 60, I think. I thought, I'll um, just go in there as close as I can, learn everything I can, <laughs> and get out, you know? But I want to... I need some of that ingredient. I haven't had that in my Hampstead upbringing. I'm gonna... And the obvious way to do that was to... Sex. Get, uh, sex, go to bed with him. Was he just hugely charismatic? His charisma was an acquired taste. His brain was fast, frightening. And that was what was so brilliant. That's what I wanted to be around. But I know uh, I feel like I had a agency in going about that, definitely. But it's, it's a choice which has, I would say, echoed down the years, shaped your whole life. Yeah, it did. It, it really did. I mean, I think... If your parents are successful in what they do and my dad's career as an actor and everything, if I was just going to be going to auditions and hopefully getting parts and playing sort of straight leading ladies, if, I don't even know if I could ever have done that, I had to go and find another string to my bow. And it kind of had to be an eccentric one. Oh, look. Zucchini fritti. Lovely. Thank you. Or courgettes deep fried. And they're really good. (laughs) They're really good. At what point did he say... Uh, you need something else in your life and his ventriloquism for beginners or whatever the kit was called the Royal Shakespeare Company voice coach Sis Berry said well you know there are two kinds of voices and one I can listen to and the other I just shut off and you've got to make yours one I can listen to it should be said just for context that Sis Berry was regarded as the greatest voice coach in Britain, wasn't she? Yes, she very, had this legendary status. Very much so. So she basically said, I can't listen to you. Yeah. You were being told you're shit as a human being, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I told Ken this. He said, well, I know how to get, make you a vocal acrobat, but you've got to promise to put in some work every day, and I'll send, uh, I'll send it to you, but you have to promise you'll work at it first. He hadn't told you what it was? No. And I said, OK, I'll give it a go. And then at stage door... This big hairy sort of dog puppet and a box that had things to keep your mouth still and booklets to read and everything turned up. And I, my heart sank. If we look back at what was around, you know what the names are. We've got... Orville. Well, I wasn't even thinking of Orville when I was thinking this isn't my cup of tea. What I had in mind was kind of horror film, your worst nightmare kind of guy. Nasty slices from the edge of the mouth down and... Um, head yeah head movement eye movement and so I was talking to that puppet for a while it was lascivious it was like saucy and it was unfunny and I was just thinking why is my material going down this road I don't want this (laughs) later I found monkey and he made where did you find monkey also while at the Royal Shakespeare I had been sharing a flat with an actor called Will Houston, who was playing Henry V, and on his first night, his mum bought him a monkey puppet. And that is my monkey. I stole it. So I, I, I didn't... I only, you stole it from Will Houston? Yeah, stole it from Will Houston. He did send me a Facebook message saying, that's my fucking monkey. Sure I don't is. think he minds that much. So you had monkey before Ken 
encouraged you to get into ventriloquism? Yes, so it was more the beginning of the season, the first night of the show. I had met this monkey, I suppose. And then uh, towards the end of the RSC season, that's when Sisberry was giving up on me. He said, you've got to learn ventriloquism. And then that was when I thought, oh, but maybe that monkey will work well as a puppet. There's an extraordinary moment, you probably know where I'm going with this, in Her Master's Voices, the documentary you want to watch, and it's available on Amazon, where you're lying in bed with the Ken Campbell puppet. Mm. And the Ken Campbell puppet says, you had an abortion, at the point when that baby would have been born, monkey arrives, so he's your son. Yeah. You're going to put your son in a box and leave him there for the rest of your life. That's what I remember saying all that. Obviously, I was saying it, not Ken. I was the one well, who we, I mean, obviously, that's, that's the... We do know how the ventriloquism thing works, and I'm looking at that no. going, you couldn't have said that. No, I couldn't but, have said that. But, nor could Ken, because Ken wouldn't even know that. I know that. So the Ken Puppet knows that. So the Ken Puppet says that. I mean, this is an outrageous question. So it wasn't Ken's? No. Okay. It was exactly the time frame, an abortion, and then nine months later I started doing that. Um, We did get, obviously, we got the the email from your management saying, would you like to meet Monkey? The bastards, did they say that? Because I think that's really a weird idea, don't you? We can leave them in there for the moment. I mean, there was a bit of me watching all your material and I was thinking, is Nina going to be able to talk to me? Without him. Without him or without... Oh, I think we have starters arriving. You're saved. No, you're not. (laughs) Uh, Tell us what we've got, Brendan. So we have our fresh burrata with farinata, Swiss chard, green peppers, pajasti olives and basil. And we have the pan-fried cuttlefish with anchovies, red chili, barlotti beans, and a little bit of rock. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, some contexts don't work. I mean, stage definitely works, but... um, You don't think it's possible to eat luncheon? One-on-one, I find it a bit weird. Do you? monkey, yeah. But when I'm on my own on stage, when it's my context, uh, that's... So is that that part of it? You need to control the environment that you're... I need total control, yeah. I need to be queen bee, no one else near. No one else funny anywhere near me, please. Oh, really? Because <laughs> yeah. you're meant to be the funny person, or monkey is, or... Well, Granny's now in a home. Yeah, she's in Vent Haven, a resting place for the dummies of dead ventriloquists. Which um, is one of the most sinister things I've ever seen, mm. if I may. Um, <laughs> and again, it, Her Master's Voice is the documentary you want to watch. Vent Haven Museum is just... Yeah. Ventriloquists die in there. And they sit there on their chairs, these puppets, and they've lost their voices. And they, um, some of them have photographs of them on stage mid-animation, and it, it, it feels more dead than dead. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. The actual technical stuff, did it come to you pretty quickly? 
Yes. That's why I stuck with it, because the first time I started trying to do it, I did a good job of just relaxing my face and keeping it completely still. And so when I watched back this little video I'd made, um, I thought that really is like someone else was there. You, you realised there was this thing that you could do? Yeah, and that there was this separation, and then suddenly this liberation of something that could say all your uncensored thoughts and... You didn't really have to explain it. Or it was also kind of flirty, I think. There's something weirdly flirty about it because if you're all, all the time all brought up to be butter wouldn't melt and then this other thing says these awful things, it kind of baffles people. There's one thing, learning the technique. Mm-hmm. There's another thing, getting a gig and getting up on stage and doing it. What was your first ventriloquist gig? The important thing was I booked, uh, booked myself into a new act competition night at the Bedford in Ballam. The Banana Club. Yeah, the Banana Club on a Tuesday. So it was just monkey, like, going at it on a pint glass. And me kind of... <laughs> Being like, outraged or trying well, to stop it? Part outraged, but part... It's just like an affable zookeeper, like, he'll do this. It won't last long, you know. Well, sorry about this. And I hadn't realised, really, that it was time to write my own material. I was thinking, well, I've got monkey. There's what I look for monkey jokes on the internet. That's how I began. I mean, it's really shameful. And it won the night. But I was so frightened before because it was, like, quite confident dudes in jeans and white T-shirts holding mics being, like, quite rad. When I get asked about being a woman in comedy, I think there was a survival technique about the strongly masculine monkey voice. Was there any response to this? Did your dad have PTSD remembering his days as a guitarist around the restaurant? Yeah, probably. Probably. I think he'd had a joke about becoming a ventriloquist. He'd always said, should I just become a ventriloquist? Apparently to my mum. It was some running gag I didn't understand. So they thought it was hysterical that I was doing ventriloquism. I mean, I think my dad's a bit appalled at the amount of swearing that comes out of the monkey and finds the monkey quite vile, like a vile character. I don't think Monkey's vile. I think he's nice. I mean, he says awful things, but I think his soul's intact. He's kind of, okay, Monkey. The the psychological stuff, um, I mean, working out where you end and the voices from your head begin, Mm -hmm. you play a double game, Mm. which is Monkey will say, this isn't me speaking, it's her. Yes. But he says things, particularly, you know, if you watch... In Therapy, which was a brilliant um, conceit, which is you with your monkey and a therapist, an actor. He's very good, isn't he? Adam Megiddo. Yeah, brilliant. And monkey saying everything, and you're saying outrageous things, and your head is in your hands most of the time Mm. in shame. Mm. Yeah. So I, I know this may sound like a banal question. How much of it is an act, and how much of it is extremely liberating for you? Um, I think both in equal measure. I don't think I would do an act uh, without that factor. How did you find... Uh, it's a question about, you know, the whole lockdown thing mm. of not being on stage. Yeah, I was very upset. Were you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing I had been cultivating the most for the last sort of six years was unscripted audience participation shows where I would make the show up on the night using people from the audience. It was so tactile. It was so... Um, Is this using the half-face masks yes. powered by you? You're basically moving their lips. Yes, but I've got work-in-progress shows starting very soon. 
So my idea was that I would be like Scylla Black and I would get people up from the audience who were looking to meet a partner and I'd put masks on them and we'd have dates. In fact, that's not a bad idea. I could just do that, but I started to think it's going to be a bit prescribed or it might be a bit icky or you might just get people kind of being like overly sexual and it'd be kind of icky. When you, when you say overly sexual, surely it's you. So if it did get overly sexual, that wouldn't be them. It would be you. Yes, but do you know what people do often is they do a kind of four move with the thrusting. And you've got no choice. Yeah, and then some so often you get blokes doing like a imagining there's a woman in front of them. They do kind of doing the arse slap and the hair pulling. And thing. That's what people do. They do that kind of rodeo move. That often happens. And every time that happens, I'm like, God. The audience don't laugh at it. They're just kind of like, ugh. And but that's the problem. You're getting, you are entrusting the success of your act yeah. to members of the public. Yes. Nina, what are you doing? I know, <laughs> I know. Well, I know, I sort of what follows is, is more interesting in sort of their crestfallen that it hasn't gone as well as they thought. And so you're <laughs> voicing that, <laughs> that agonising about, was that too much did I do? What do you think it was that they didn't like about it? I mean, you just have to keep it going. But the thing is, they didn't say it. I said it. <laughs> so if I've got a woman telling her boyfriend she thinks she can do better and she doesn't love him anymore... Have you done that? <laughs> I might have done things like that. You have yeah, done that. I probably you? have done that, you know, and it's a riot. And usually the girl is laughing more than anyone if that's the kind of thing. Well, the boyfriend you know. is dying a little inside <laughs> because there's a kernel of him in there that thinks that's actually the truth. And everybody knows it actually might be. I don't know. There was one woman who had been with her husband, I don't know, they'd been together 40 years or something and travelled with his work. This was at the Kiln Theatre in Kilburn. And she had been following him around, making home anew every time they moved. But she was on stage and I'd already found out that that's what she did and he was there. And uh, so I let the mask let rip at him for this amount of... Courtesy she'd been giving him all these years, and for what? And for what? You know, she really laid into him, and she afterwards hugged me and said, "Thank you, thank you." Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So you got her to say what she could not say for herself. Yes, what they both probably knew. But um, I don't know, maybe she did say it, but it had more charm and thrill or silliness about it, probably, with this mask on her face. She looked like a monster, you know. Yeah, we should say it is, it is a big outsized thing, which yeah. sort of looks almost, what, Botoxed lip-wise. Yes. Monkey, you got him because he was delivered to your to your housemate mm-hmm. um, at the RSC. Mm. Did the voice come very very early on? Yes, a version of it. He used to speak a lot more slowly, like Nina. That was a bit spooky. But I remember the first time I filmed him, I was a little drunk. I'd been at the pub and I came home, and uh, the house was empty, and you know, sort of the nervous of being alone kind of person. I was thinking, oh, God, has the party ended? Am I really all by myself? I better populate things around here. (laughs) I'll put a camera on and I'll get a monkey puppet and I'll start talking. But that was the first time I picked up monkey and realised that monkey could be something I could use in ventriloquism. Look, they're taking a while with our main courses. (laughs) So I'm going to make you. Oh, what, talk to him? Yeah. 
I that... of hearing a voice without seeing him. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I mean, I feel like it. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be an anti-climax. I now. don't think so. Maybe not. Just maybe for not. just for stateiness, because it oh, is out to lunch. Oh, look what he got me—a banana. Yeah. Is that patronising? Well, I can't do much with it. I can't swallow, but it doesn't mean I don't suck good dick. I uh, just the tip. <laughs> <laughs> you but see, no, it's happened I can't, already. Isn't I it? can't do much with that. Can you not? Well, I, I mean, obviously, I'm aware that you're a puppet. And Do you want to peel it and feed it to me? Is that what you want? Deep in your psyche. <laughs> I, I think it's necessary. Look, the, Don't the, get me sticky. The, Not that way. Actually, our food has arrived. Thank God for that. Monkey's going away. <laughs> Save you again. That's a and funny that's thing. Thank you. Wow, this is huge. Look at this. That'll be exciting. We have here uh, our fritto misto di verdura. So you're going to have some uh, zucchine, then courgette, a little bit of aubergine. We have portobello mushrooms, artichokes, all topped up with a little bit of chili and mint sauce. How lovely. Thank you. I'm going for this. Yeah, it looks good. Dorset blue lobster, a very fresh day with the parsley, garlic, and red Marvellous, thank, thank you. you. In the film, I'm going back mm. to it, but in the film mm. it, it, there is a, if I call it a conceit, I don't know if I'm being unfair, which is that you are thinking about giving up being a ventriloquist. Oh, I uh, was. Were you yeah. genuine? Yeah, I was. Because I made that film with my own money. I couldn't get anyone interested to give me money to do it. So when I had Ken speaking at me from the grave going, you don't need anyone, just go and do it yourself, do it yourself. So I just did it very cheaply with my own money and then managed to sell it to the BBC and then did, a, did well after that. You got, you got a Grisson Award for it. Yeah. There was a kind of thing of, ventriloquists are not really going to work on television, is what everyone was saying. So after I made that film, it proved that it worked fine and then I started getting more gigs and then I got live at the Apollo and then it sort of lifted me up a bit. There's a particular moment in one of your acts where you... you get Monkey to put you into a trance and, the, and you go into a trance and the end result is you can't speak. Yeah. Because monkey is you. Yeah. Which was also what the whole of in therapy was about. Yes. Which means you're you're as about as ref- self-referential and meta as it comes. Yeah. Yes, I guess I am. Yes, I find that's where it's most interesting. How far <laughs> can you take that? I mean, it would be to do a sort of black box theatre, me in a polar neck, a bare feet, do, as monkey. What, no, being monkey? Yeah, no puppets, no costume, just, you know, that's as far as I could take it, but I don't think anyone wants that, at least of all me. You've done a little bit of it. There, mm. there are moments where you do, it's just your hand. Yeah. And then the voice transfers into you, and that's really mm. freaky. Mm. And I got into a monkey suit for a while. Um, that was really, that was really fun. I did some stand-up as monkey wearing a monkey suit. You've been working on a book. Yeah. For about three years. Yeah, about three years. Partly written in your voice, partly written in Monkey's voice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is easier to write? Mine's easier to write, but it's more likely to drift into sort of narcissism or something. Or it's more like thinking, oh, people will like this, or I'll choose this word, or I'll try and be... You know, it's more pretentious than Monkey's voice, who, as soon as I sort of switch and think, well, what would Monkey say now... It, it cuts it down to size. But then I don't want to do that all the time because it would be relentless. So sometimes I just hand over t- 
to the monkey voice completely. Why is it taking you so long? I don't sit for long periods of time well. It's really um, uncomfortable because you don't want to bullshit. And it's so hard not to. Or to anticipate what other people are thinking. So I think the key is probably um, what monkey, the monkey part of my brain can do is write it for its own sake as if no one's ever going to look at it anyway. And that's how I get it done. I've got to get on with it. And stop talking about it till it's done. Honestly, that's what I have to do. I've eaten a lot of these. Would you like any of them? What have you got in there? There's a mushroom. That, I've started on that, but this one... This well, I don't really care. Okay. Oh, that's a Swiss chard leaf, isn't it? It's the amazing ability of the Italians to deep fry anything. It does improve most things. gives them a crunch, doesn't it? It really does. That's fantastic. What's that? That's a radicchio. I'm, I'm, I'm going to force you to do something, which is probably unfair, which is to get Monkey out again. What, what are we getting him out for? I'm going to... No, no, no. As you, peril. As you're here, yeah. how do you think this has actually gone? You got the abortion stuff out early, didn't you? So you, you started hot. <laughs> and then it kind of trailed off a bit two-thirds of the way through because the food didn't come. Nor did the witty remarks. And uh, I think we can close it well now, but shit, let's quit while we're ahead. Do you think? <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's the thing. I mean, you never know how it's going to go when you're sitting over food. No, I've never done it before myself. I don't know, I was face down, arse up in the bag. Sounded okay. It was good, it was good. It was very, very good. And obviously when we edit it down to 40 minutes, it's going to be spectacular. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who does that? Do you do that? You don't do that. No, no, I have no. people. Yes. Monkey. All that remains for me to say, uh, <laughs> Nina Conti and Monkey, while you try to pull on some of the tempura from Nina's plate, is thank you for... <laughs> Letting me take you out to lunch. Throwing food. That has actually got a hint of the Rod Hullen emus. About. Yeah, I know. So never, never been invited to lunch before. This is how yeah, I Yeah, and I can, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that I'm not sure that necessarily you're going to get many more invitations. Yeah, it's a fancy establishment, monkey. Don't say that. Here we go. <laughs> right. Did you see the way that courgette went flying all, across the room? Yeah, all I can say is that um, <laughs> Brendan, our brilliant waiter, has watched as food has gone flying. And I don't think anybody has thrown food at Theo Randall at the Intercontinental across the private dining room before. So, Monkey, congratulations. Thank you. On completely vulgarising the whole business of going out to lunch with me. Thank you. I'm delighted. It's been fabulous. Thank you. Well, that's the first time I've had to pick up my guest's lunch from the floor, but it was worth it. Um, thank you so much to Theo Randall at the Intercontinental Hyde Park. We promise the antics were in no way a reflection on your delicious food. Uh, do please remember to follow us so that you can hear new episodes as soon as they drop. Share us with everyone you know. Comment. Give us five stars. You know, it makes sense. It all helps us to keep making these. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner, and Robert Rickenberg. The recording engineer was Paul Brogdon and the mix engineer was John Scott. Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Ream and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time, it's classical scholar, broadcaster and writer, Dame Professor Mary Beard on stage with me at the Cambridge Club Festival. 
I did some of those things that you, you did in the 1970s that uh, we would frown upon. You know, sex, drugs and rock and roll, yeah, sure. But most of my time in, in Cambridge, what I remember is the library, actually. Mm-hmm. 